Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here and it's a joy to be with you all today here at Kern Church. We're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. Well, right now I want to say a a word of prayer for you as we journey to God in worship. God, thank you so much for your time um, that you have brought us here. You have brought your, your people, your church here to this space. Throughout this summer, many have been on vacations and going and coming. And God, I pray that these have been times of rest and recuperation for each family. And Lord, I also pray that as Your church worships You this day, that that Your Spirit is blessed. And that You open the hearts of each one here to receive the breakthroughs that You desire for them the miracles that You desire for them this day. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, one of the most difficult positions in life, difficult things in life, is when you're facing a roadblock or or kind of a closed door in your path. You know, maybe you, you, uh, you, you did all the planning that you could when it comes to everything in your life, but then something happens, and something happens, and it destroyed your plan, it off-roaded your plan, it, it made things go the way you didn't want them to go. You know, maybe it's something as simple as, as your family was planning to go on a beach vacation the same week that the hurricane decided to, to flow through town, and you had to, instead of driving south or east, I guess, you just decide to stay home and, and, and to get out of the way. Or, or maybe at some point in your career, or maybe even now, you're contemplating, you've thought about changing career paths and whatever that may look like, and, and everything you tried and everybody you listened to lined up exactly correct and things were happening the way that you desired them to do, but then things just didn't work out. And it seemed as if a door, one after the other, was shut in your face, the door was closed, there was something in your path, a roadblock that just didn't happen. Or maybe if you think back to January of this year, of 2023, you had great plans for this year. You, you knew that this was going to be the year that things would be different in your life. And you knew that things were going to be changing in your life and you were excited about the resolutions that you had made. But then something happened. Something happened and it changed the course of your year. Maybe you had an unexpected uh, 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 change in your health. Something that you weren't facing. Something that came out of the blue and it just smacked you in the face and it, and it became kind of a closed door or a roadblock on what you desired to happen for the year. Or what you hoped to accomplish and now you're doing something else instead of what you initially tried to do. Or maybe today you look at a relationship in your life. You're thinking about your family, your friends, those that you hold dear, maybe a sibling, a parent, or a child, or even a good friend. And and as you consider this relationship, you're brought to sadness because it's not where you wish it was. It's not where you wish it were. It's It's as if a door perhaps has closed on a relationship in your life. And, and maybe it's a relationship that used to be a great relationship. Maybe it's, it's something that you used to, someone you used to hold very dear. And maybe you still hold them very dear in your heart. But, but your time together, something happened. Maybe distance or, or substance misuse or just different life choices. And it seems as if a door 
has closed on that relationship. You know, in life, you are always going to encounter doors that are closed and roadblocks along the way. There are always things that are going to get in the way of, uh, of what you thought you wanted or what you thought was best in your life. And these closed doors and, and roadblocks, at the very least, they are frustrating like when the McDonald's ice cream machine is broken. Like, you, you pull through the drive-thru and you expect to get that ice cream cone, but then it's broken or down or whatever they call it. And, and you're a little bit frustrated um, that, that, it, that it's the case. Or you want your, you want your chicken filet that people love and, and you, you know that you're, you're just going to drive there, but it just happens to be Sunday, right? And, 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 it's, and it's closed doors. It's a roadblock to your plan. Some of these things are just a bit frustrating, but sometimes the roadblocks and the closed doors in life are, are even more than that. Are difficult, are painful, are things that you don't want to be dealing with. Well, today we're in our second week of, of our July message series called Family Feud. And in this series, we are looking at one of the most dysfunctional families in the Bible. I, I know I've kind of called it the most dysfunctional family, but um, that was probably a better clickbait headline than one of the most dysfunctional uh, families. So take that as it will. But but uh, we'll, we'll, the hope is is that as we look at this family that has its dysfunctions, that has problems, things that are happening in the life of the family, that you and your family perhaps can can draw some lessons in learning from their mistakes and learning from their their problems to see what what God ha might have for you. And basically what I'm doing over the next few weeks is is that I just want to tell you the story. I just want to tell you the story as we as you read it in the Bible and and let it kind of speak for itself and invite you and and yourself and your family or whoever's with you to reflect on the story and to see how you might see yourself in that story. And today's story that we'll look at involves a giant closed door on a relationship. It's a relationship that began with so much promise and hope and optimism, but then the door slams shut on the relationship, leaving, leaving all seemingly lost. Today we're looking at a sibling rivalry that gets a little bit out of a control. It's a little bit extreme and represents a giant closed door. And, and, and left to our own devices, the, the closed doors that you and I face, I mean, they really can tend to erase in your own mind all hope for tomorrow. You think, well, if that's not going to work out, nothing is going to work out. Or if that relationship is broken today, it's always going to be broken. It's so easy to let the roadblocks you face today and the closed doors you face today erase all hope for tomorrow because they represent your, your plans or your relationships or your health gone bad. But what I hope that you will discover today is that a closed door today does not erase tomorrow's hope. So let's look, let's look at our dysfunctional family. And we find this, this part of their story in Genesis chapter 25. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And really is the first book of the Bible. This, is, this, is, um, this tells the story of God's formative work with humanity. How God shaped humanity and how God invited humanity to grow and partner with God. And it also 
It also tells God's formative work with the people of God and, and what God was creating there. So if you were with us last week, we looked at two people and how these two people met. It was kind of their dating story of Rebecca and Isaac. And so today we're going to look back at Rebecca and Isaac, but primarily we're going to look at their children. So if you weren't with us last week, all you need to know is two people met and, um, and then, then they're about to have kids. And that's, that's that, 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 you know, you didn't miss anything. So we can start off today with these two kids that they're going to have. Uh, they're going to have uh, Jacob and Esau. And so it's Genesis chapter 25, if you're following along in your own Bible. In Genesis chapter, five, chapter 25, verse 19, we read this. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Laban the Aramean from Paddan Aran. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, since she was unable to have children. So first, I want to say that for anyone who has struggled with infertility, there are plenty of people in the Bible who have this same struggle. And, and, and I'm thankful that, that the, the way that people oftentimes looked at it in the Bible is not the way people look at it today, and sometimes this was seen as, 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 as a punishment. And, and that's not really the case, of course, when we look at it today. But what, what I want you to know that, that if you've ever struggled with infertility, or if there's people in your life that are struggling with this, know that, that, that it is a struggle that many faithful people in Scripture have faced. In fact, the two people in our story today, Rebecca and Isaac, we learned that they struggled for 20 years with infertility. And I love that the Bible blames the wife for this, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. The, they don't have the genetic test and all the fertility testing that you would do today to see who is actually to blame, but we're just going to blame the woman on this one, and that's what the Bible does here, so thank you. Um, but, the, but the narrative, what happens is that there's a quick prayer, and then after this prayer, it says that, it says that Rebecca conceived... But what I want you to know is that I read what comes next is that this was a 20-year struggle. So, so they tried to get pregnant when Isaac was 40 and then it didn't happen for 20 years. And so also that means that Isaac is 60 years old. I mean, I cannot imagine being 60 years old and having an infant. I can barely imagine being 36 years old and, and having, and having a, a baby. But that's, that's where we are today. And when Rebecca does conceive children... Rebecca is pregnant with twins, okay? And the thing is, even after 20 years of infertility, Rebecca is not one of those women who enjoys being pregnant. She is not one of these women who enjoys being pregnant. The boys she is carrying are fighting inside of her womb, and it hurts. The pain of her pregnancy is so much that, that she says, if this is what it's like, why did this happen to me? Why did, Couldn't you just have left good enough alone? Now maybe some of you have felt this way during your pregnancy. And, and, and she brings the concern then to God. And in verse 23, we learn that she prays to God, and God responds in a way, and I have to tell you that God's response here is not all that encouraging to Rebecca's pain. In fact, he, he says it's going to continue. What happens is that God responds and says, there's two nations in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. 
And when she reached the end of her pregnancy, she discovered that she had twins. And then the first came out red all over, clothed with hair. She named him Esau. Immediately afterwards, his brother came out, gripping Esau's heel, and she named him Jacob. So when she asked God, what's going on? I don't want to be in all this pain. This pregnancy is awful. Help me out. She isn't really reassured. And instead, God tells her that, by the way, you're pregnant with twins, if you didn't know that already, and, and they're going to be fighting. And you know they're fighting because they're fighting inside your womb, and they're going to be fighting all their days. They are going to be rivals. Now, what you have to know about this is at the time, there's this, this thing called birthright. And so the firstborn child is the favored child in the... In the um, inheritance system of the day. And so the firstborn child is the favored child and is supposed to receive the birthright, the, the full inheritance. Now, I think this is a great idea. I think we should do this today. Of course, I'm the firstborn child. So um, I mean, if you talk to my siblings, they may not agree with you, but I think this is a grand idea. Uh, but, but that's the case of, of, of when we're reading about here, is that Esau was the firstborn child, even though Jacob was right on his heels, even grabbing his heel, that, that, um, that he is the one that's supposed to receive this thing by birth. But the message from God that God gives Rebecca is that Rebecca is told that the younger child will rule over the other child. And so something is going to happen to reverse, re, uh, uh, reverse the birthright order to make the younger stronger than the older, the reversal of what was expected to happen. And as she gives birth, the fighting continues because the first child, after being born, is discovered that the younger one is right there trying to pull his brother back in and be the first one to, to be born. It, it, you know, he, he is trying to assert, the younger one is trying to assert his dominance and show his older brother that he is the one that's really going to, to get this birthright. And this type of rivalry continues through their lives. As the boys grow, we learn that Esau was a, he's kind of a man's man, okay? The, all the, the, uh, the male stereotypes that are probably like toxic masculinity stereotypes you read about, you know, maybe that is kind of patterned after Esau. He, he, he loved being in the outdoors. He, he, he was a manly man. Like he's chopping wood. He's doing the things that you do in the outdoors. He's, he, he's, he's providing for, for the family. And then Jacob, the younger brother, he's, um, he's kind of a quiet person. He's a homebody. He likes to, he likes to stay home and, and be in the house. And the, his, their parents don't make this whole rivalry thing any better because the father, Isaac, chooses Esau as his favorite son. And, and, and the mother, Rebekah, chooses Jacob as her favorite son. And so they, they both want their favorite child to, to thrive in life. And, and, and they don't really help the situation out any. They make it, I think they make it worse. And one of the big dysfunctions and rivalry moments happens in verse 29 when Jacob is at home cooking a stew. Now I want you to imagine cooking a stew, like simmering a stew. 
After a long day of simmering, if you've been in the house, you're not going to smell it. But if someone walks into the door for the first time and they smell that pot roast, they smell that stew that's been simmering, and they say, oh, that smells good. The onions, the garlic, the, the, the fat that's cooked out and is the wafting through the house. So imagine this, this beautiful smelling roast, this beautiful smelling stew that's been simmering all day and it fills the house, the smell wafts outside, beckoning hunger to be satiated. This is good stuff. And then here we read in verse 29, that once when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of that red stuff. That's why his name is Edom. So Esau comes in at the right time. The stew is ready. It's been cooking all day. And, 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 and Esau's been working hard all day. He's been outside and he's starving. In fact, he's a little more than starving. Esau is hangry, right? He is hungry. He is angry. Esau is hangry. I love the old Snickers commercials where, where you'll have like um, Betty White playing football and, and she gets knocked down to the ground and, 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 it, and, and then the girlfriend comes over and gives a Snickers bar and Betty White turns back into the, the football player and, and the whole thing, the whole tagline is you're not... You're not you when you are hungry, so grab a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. And I think that's what Esau would appreciate, that you're not you when you're hungry. And if you look at what Esau actually says, he doesn't say, oh, that smells good. Let me have a bite of your stew. Or, or hey, can I just have a bite? This smells really good. He says, I'm hungry. Let me devour some of that red stuff. It's not let me have a bite of the soup or some stew. He said, let me devour some of that red stuff. And it's interesting here because it's even more like vague than that or even cruder than that because the language that Esau uses to say devour or to eat, this is a word that's not used anywhere else in the Bible, okay? And in fact, at the time, it's thought that this was a word that was only used to talk about feeding animals. So, so Esau says of himself, let me devour something like a pig devours slop. I'm so hungry, I can't even think about it. This word's not used anywhere else in the Bible. And then we read that he says, let me devour this red stuff. But, but red stuff is like a nice approximation of what is actually said, because what is literally said, it just says red, red. Okay, It's not red stew or red stuff, it's just red, red. It's not let me devour this red stuff. It's hungry, eat red, red. Like this is, this, is, this is all he can get out. This is the caveman, hungry, eat red, red. Like this is it. And, and, and like the Sickers commercial, he would appreciate this idea that you're not you when you're hungry. But Jacob won't give just a little bit to his brother. Instead, Jacob says in verse 31, sell me your birthright today. Sell me your birthright today. And Esau says, well, I'm going to die anyways. What good is my birthright to me? <laughs> he's so hungry, he thinks he's going to die. I mean, his blood sugar has dropped so low, he thinks he's going to die if he doesn't eat. He can't even think. He, wants a, he sells his birthright as a firstborn child for a bowl of red red. And then Jacob gives Esau the bread, the stew. The sibling rivalry is strong. Esau gave, up, Esau gave up something priceless. Priceless. Something of priceless importance for a bite of food. Now later on, 
in their rivalry, their, their, their father Isaac was near death. And, and Isaac tells his favorite son Esau to, to go hunt some game for him and to bring this game back in the form of food so Esau can then bless, bless or Isaac can then bless Esau as his firstborn. Now, I imagine that Isaac does not remember that Esau has given his birth right away. Esau may not even remember. Because if you're in a state of like desperation, you may not even remember what you did. So Esau may not remember it, but Isaac did remember. And Rebekah, his mom, did remember. Rebekah and Isaac, Rebekah and Jacob remember that Esau had given away his birthright for some stew. And so Rebecca overhears what's happening. She overhears what Isaac told the older son, and she knows that she wants to make sure her favorite, Jacob, is the one who gets the blessing. I mean, this is really healthy parenting, right? I mean, it was just this is really healthy parenting that you probably should just like listen to them and, and, and parent your kids this way. But anyway, she, she goes to Jacob and, and says this, and this is found over in Genesis 27, verse 8. She says, now, my son, listen to me. Listen to me. To what I am telling you to do. Go to the flock and get me two healthy young goats so that I can prepare them as the delicious food your father loves. You can bring it to your father. He will eat it and he will bless you before he dies. Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, my my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me and thinks that I'm making fun of him? I'll be Cursed instead of blessed. So Esau is, or Jacob's like, my, my dad's not a dummy. I don't have the hair on my, my body that Esau does. I'm not going to smell like he does. I like to sit inside. And, 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 Jake, and Esau's the one that, that, that goes outside. Well, his mother said, If that happens, your curse will be on me, my son. Just listen to me. Go and get them for me. So Jacob went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made the delicious food that the father loved. Rebekah took their older son's favorite clothes that were in the house with her, and she put them on her younger son Jacob. So he's like, I'm going to disguise Jacob as Esau. So she, she takes the clothes that are going to smell like, like the outdoors, like the sheep, like the goats, and puts them on Jacob. And then on his arms and his smooth neck, she put the hide of the young goats. So Esau's hairy, and so she puts the hide of the animals on there to, to trick the ailing father and the delicious food and bread that she has made, she puts into her son's hands. And Jacob went to his father and said, My father, my father. So now Jacob and his mother are conspiring against the brother and the father to secure the blessing of the firstborn to the younger child. They employ the trickery of food to foil the ailing father again. And then in verse 26, his father Isaac said to him, Come here. Come here, kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. When Isaac smelled the scent of the clothes, he blessed him. See, the scent of my son is like the scent of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you showers from the sky, olive oil from the earth, plenty of grain and new wine. May the nations serve you. May peoples bow down to you. Be the most powerful man among your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. So Jacob tricks his father into stealing the blessing, and then just after Jacob and his mother pull it off, Esau comes in. 
Esau comes back in and he's the one that that has gone out and prepared the food. He's been waiting to capture his father's blessing. But it's over. It's over. Isaac the dad realizes that he's been deceived by his wife and his younger son. Now, if you're me, you're like, well, if they've tricked me, I can just like go back on it. Like if there's fraud involved in the contract, it's not a binding contract. This is, you know, this is the way we think today. If fraud's involved, I can at least bring a lawsuit and prove this and, and get out of this contract. But that's not the way it worked in the culture of the day. A bond, when a, once a bond was made, it couldn't be broken. Even if it was gotten in a way that involved trickery or deception, the bond of blessing was so strong in the culture that Isaac realizes he cannot undo what has been done. And this brings Esau to despair. I mean, the Bible says he weeps. He weeps. And in verse 38, he just breaks down and Esau says to his father, Really? Dad, you only have one blessing? There's only one blessing that you can give? Father, bless me too. In tears, Esau realizes what his brother has done, but surely... His dad can bless him too. And and this father does give him a blessing. Isaac does bless him. But since Jacob received the blessing that that everyone would serve him, that the other nations would serve him, that that food would come from the sky and and bubble up from the ground, since since Isaac gave this blessing to Jacob, he, he says that something is going to happen a little bit differently to Esau Because Esau doesn't get the firstborn blessing. Instead, Esau must live by the sword and work hard for everything in life. Esau realizes that his birthright has been stolen. And then we read in verse 41 the extent of the damage to this relationship. Because because this is like happening and and people aren't thinking through the consequences. And, And we learn... In verse 30, 41, the extent of the damage to this relationship, a closed door, a relationship that began in rivalry that has perhaps been taken too far. So in verse 41, we find that Esau was furious at Jacob because his father had blessed him. And Esau said to myself, when the period of mourning for the death of my father is over, I will kill, I will kill my brother. I will kill him. Rebecca hears about this. She learns about this. And I think she realizes that she's taken it too far. You can read about what happens next, beginning in verse 42. I'm not going to read that this morning. But I think she realizes that she has taken it too far. She doesn't want to lose her son. And she also realizes that if Esau attacks Jacob and a fight ensues, they both might be wounded such to where she will lose two sons in the one encounter. She doesn't want to lose her sons. And so she sends Jacob off. And Esau leaves and goes in another direction. Jacob in one way. Esau in another way. The brotherly bonds are severed. A door is closed. The mother's heart is broken. A door is closed. The father is sick and distraught. A door is closed. No one makes it out of this situation. It is looking, no one makes it out of this situation looking nice. A door is closed. The relationships are over. It's painful. 
And, and honestly, you know, everybody does leave it, leave it heartbroken. The birth of twins, you know, this was a time where there were so many promises of hope and, and of dreams of beautiful days of them growing, but, but, but they're left broken. And have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt this way where a door has just been slammed in your face? I mean, people say that when one door closes, another door opens, but it often doesn't look that way. It often just looks like things are closing on you. And um, watch talks to you. It just seems like things are closing on you and, and, it, and it breaks you down. A broken relationship, a death, doors just close. And, and, and there are so many who struggle with things like addiction and I know that time and again, family relationships have been burned. And, and maybe you have been to the point in your own family where you have seen the door close just one too many times and you know that life is hard and you just are not sure if you can make it. And sometimes maybe you feel like Esau who realizes that this rivalry has gone too far and he just breaks down and can't imagine what comes next. Another door closed. So in light of this, in light of the brokenness and the closed doors, you have to know that this is not the last thing written. That today's closed door does not erase tomorrow's hope. These two brothers close this chapter in their lives and then they start building their own families. And they probably think or even hope that they're never going to see each other again. And, but you know that if this happens in you, it just kind of eats at you. You can't really put these things away. And, and it continues to eat at them. It continues to eat at Jacob and Esau. And, 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 and Jacob fears that if he ever sees his brother again, he's going he's gonna to die. He's going to be killed. They both think that this pain, this, this closed door, is, is, is putting an end to all hope for reconciliation or hope for tomorrow. But I want you to know that later in life, Later in life, Jacob and Esau would meet again. It, they would meet again. And when this happens, we know that, that Jacob is dreading it. He remembers this threat from his brother. Jacob is dreading it. And, and later on in Genesis, in chapter 32, verse 7, we read about this meeting that is to happen. That Jacob was terrified and felt trapped. So he divided the people with him, the flocks and the cattle and camels into two camps. So Jacob's traveling with his whole family and he's like, I'm going to separate you guys. And the reason he separates them because he thought that if Esau meets one camp and kills and attacks them, then not his whole family will be dead. Like only half of his family will be dead. And the other half is left to escape. But Jacob remembers the closed door that his brother promised to kill him and views that all hope is lost in this relationship. But today's closed door does not erase tomorrow's hope. And Esau has some hope, uh, for we find in, in, in chapter 33, verse 4, that there are two, when these two are approaching each other. These two are approaching each other. Jacob thinks he's about to die. But Esau ran to meet him. Esau ran to meet him. Threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. They wept. They are no longer young men caught in a rivalry. They realize that, that they are brothers and forgiveness is given. Grace is shown and hope is opened again. Now Jacob and Esau, they don't move in next door to each other. They don't, they don't become necessarily best buds. But when their dad eventually does die, they both go to the funeral to bury him. They lay him to rest. And then in the course of life, they realize that today's closed doors not erase tomorrow's hope. So if you are facing a closed door today, I want you to know that it does not erase the hope for tomorrow. If you are facing a challenge today, it does not erase the hope for tomorrow. In fact, in the, in the face of 
whatever challenge that you have. I want to invite you just to look to God. Wherever you might be facing a closed door in your life, evaluate it and think of it as an opportunity to embrace God. And as you embrace God, embrace the God who promises hope that there can indeed be hope tomorrow. Because today's closed door does not erase tomorrow's hope. Let's pray. Oh God, You are the God of second chances and new beginnings. I pray this day for each one who's experiencing a a, a roadblock or a closed door in their lives. I pray that You will show them that today's closed door does not erase tomorrow's hope. Speak again to them words of Your hope and of Your being. May Your Spirit come to bring breakthroughs and new hope whatever situation each one is facing. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. May God's hope bring you out this day beyond all breakthroughs and into a new life. A new life of hope, true hope, found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May you be blessed this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.